Another horror hookup with Friday the 13th. Today we have some very special guests, and if you've never been to a horror hookup before, you are in for a treat. This is when we talk to people from the industry, whether that's the horror industry or whether that's the LGBTQ industry. And today I think we have a little mix of both, which is really cool for us. So I want to welcome to the stage, if you will, the masters of all things drag, filth, horror, and glamour, Drac and Swan, known to most as the Boulet Brothers. Hello, guys. Woohoo! Hi. Hello, darling. Thank you. Yes, thank you for for inviting us to this uh, horror hookup. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Yeah, it's really exciting. Um, I think you guys are the first um, like uh, performers of drag that we've had on the show. So I think that that's a really cool honor for you guys. That's what you. Do. <laughs> <laughs> Very good point. Now, what happens in a horror hookup? Are we hooking up or are we murdering people? Because that's a little confusing. Well, it could be a little mix of both if if we all play our cards right. Interesting. That's my hope. <laughs> people like you that got craigslist taken right (laughs) (laughs) all right so for our audience members that maybe are not as familiar with the boulet brothers can you just tell us like a, a little like you know elevator speech of like what you guys are all about uh, yes, if you don't know who we are, I don't know why you would be listening to this interview and you might want to go to Wikipedia and find out all about it. <laughs> Hey, I mean, that, that, is, that is one method of doing this for sure. Yeah, you know, I mean, trying to explain who you are is a little uncomfortable. So, you know, we're horror hosts, we're content creators, yeah. uh, we're writers, producers. We make uh, our own show, The Blade Brothers Dragula, on Netflix. We work on tons of stuff, and we've been doing this quite a while. I don't know what else to say. Well, actually, you know, the next question that I have for you sort of speaks directly to a bit of who you are, um, you know, as as an entity, as the Boulay Brothers. You know, a lot of our listeners, well, not a lot, but some of our listeners might not know that you're not actually brothers, right? But you are, in fact, partners. And both of you have been together, I believe, for over 20 years, correct? I hope you edit this podcast, and we'll just say a long time. <laughs> a long time in that case. Well, so tell, tell us a little bit about how you both met, and especially for a lot of our you know, a lot of our audience are they're, they're LGBT people, and you know, LGBT relationships are tough as shit. Like, how have you two been together for um, for this long? Tell us a little bit about what that means, about you know, what that love looks like. Well, we have been together for a long time, and I like to say we're not uh, brothers by blood, but I like to consider us kind of blood brothers in a more queer sense of the word and the term. Um, 
and, and we're talking outside of heteronormativity. I mean, that might sure. just sound strange to a lot of people listening, but in, in a in a queer sense, you know, we come from very much the same kind of like psychic space. Uh, we look at the world very much the same way. We were both kind of like black sheeps, and when we met, we we found kindred spirits in each other. And I think like you know, years ago, uh, and, and this goes to why I think our relationship, both in business and our personal relationship, has lasted so long, is that we are great friends. Like we really have a bond of friendship that lasts, you know, and carries us through business and through our private life. I love that. I love hearing that. I think friendship is is the basis of what every every relationship should be. Um, and it's just, I don't know, it's, it's really lovely to hear that. So thanks for sharing that with us. Of course. I think sometimes uh, with this, a, a gay men, I can say um, some of them, not all of them, friends of ours that are gay men that I find that have trouble in relationships. Sometimes mm-hmm. I think they're looking for something from someone that they're not willing to give in return. And it's sort of this vicious huh. circle that I think gay guys can get caught in. And I feel like, you know, sometimes you got to ask yourself, what are you asking from someone and what are you giving to someone? Cause a lot of times I need a guy that's like this and this, then this, and this and it's like, are you that? No. So why do you yeah. think someone else should be that for you? And I think just sort of, you know, come into terms with accepting who you are as a gay man, man. And then what you're looking for in a partner is important. And yeah. if, I, if I could ask just one follow up question on that too, you know, because friendship is obviously the basis of this. What would you say you each love the most about each other? I mean, if I can just jump in, and I hate, like, the most and, like, my favorites because I change change my mind all the time. But I laugh a lot when Drac and I are together. Like, we Mm -hmm. talk and we brainstorm and we're both artists and all these things and we connect on this cerebral level. But she makes me fucking laugh. (laughs) And the world is a much crazier, funnier, deadlier place. And, you know, we laugh kind of the whole ride through. So, for me, I think that would be the answer. Yeah, I think just, you know, in daily life, we have a good time together. And that's so important. Like, I look forward to hanging out with Swan because I know I'm going to have fun. Like, whatever it is, we can look at each other and just start laughing and just sort of make uh, any situation entertaining. That's awesome. Yeah, I think that that's really important is to have that level of friendship before you can really evolve it into a long-lasting relationship. So that's good to hear. Um, So it's pretty inherently known that you guys are huge into horror. It's it's what you do. Um, But have you always been into horror? Like, what was your kind of gateway drug into horror for both of you? Uh, I can go first. For me, I've been into horror... It's just a part of who I am. I don't know what it is. Ever since I was a kid, as as early as I can remember, I would sort of see situations in the world, you know, experiences. Let's say I'd be with my family at a park or something. And I, you know, I was always kind of a loner and a little separated from my family, I would say, kind of quiet. And I could, any situation we were in, sort of just turn it into a movie in my head, you know, like some kind of fantasy movie or a horror movie or whatever. And I just think creatively that's how my brain worked. And I've always been attracted to the darker things. And of course I didn't realize what that was until later, you know, until I start getting to become a teenager and I'm like, Oh, okay. Everyone's not like this. <laughs> everyone's not interested in these things. <laughs> so when people ask, you know, when did you get into horror? I think some people do get into horror later in life, but for me, I feel like it's just uh, an integral part of who I am. For me, I'd say it, the attraction to horror started really young too, but it's an extension of my overactive imagination and my connection to kind of like my internal fantasy world. Uh, 
I was sort of the opposite of Drac when I was young. I was very gregarious. I loved to talk to people and really be involved and kind of had like this overactive imagination. So for me, the world of horror was sisters to the world of fantasy and sisters to the world of kind of mystery. So I used to work in like haunted houses and really get wrapped up in kind of horror hybrids, I think. Like horror and fantasy is really kind of like my lane. So when I came across things like, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, like the Dream Warriors or Hellraiser and the whole idea of like these demons and warp gates from interdimensions. So to me, that just kind of like lit my mind Mm. up with so many kind of fantastic ideas. And the fear was just kind of like secondary. It was like the fantasy that really excited me. That's awesome. And, and you know, Drac, when you were saying, you know, right at the outset, horror has sort of just always been a part of who you are. Um, that's that's a big part of, of, of our podcast, too, and, and what we've discovered with our audience. Um, you know, when we started Friday the 13th, it was really just me and Andrew sort of like taking what we used to do on the deck, just drinking, drinking together and talking about horror and politics at the same time mm-hmm. and make it into a podcast. But what we discovered was that there's this gigantic queer horror fan base out there and people who were looking for, um, you know, a really good medium to talk about that through. And for you both, why do you think that queer people are just so inherently drawn to horror? We've talked about this uh, a few times in different formats, and I really think it's about being the other. And sort of, if you look at Frankenstein or classic movie monsters, they're always shunned. They're always, society's looking down on them or afraid of them. And that's very much what a lot of queer people's experiences are, too. Totally. Yeah, I'll have to double down on that. Um, and sometimes, you know, my personal experience too, and I think a lot of other people, you may be shunned. It may go beyond that. You may be bullied. You may be, you know, attacked for who and what you are uh, so much that your daily life might feel like you're living in a horror movie. Mm. And it's that connection, uh, I think, that draws queer people to horror. And also, kind of by extension, like always kind of. Uh, identifying with the bad guy or the villains and um, that's something that we obviously love to do and and, and I think it's in our hearts that we identify always as the villains and you kind of take that and then you own it and the thing that you are ostracized or attacked for um, becomes your most powerful uh, weapon and it's the thing that you ultimately become celebrated for we kind of turn and shift that paradigm Hmm. Hmm. it's interesting to think about horror then as a more reclaiming um, than anything else, which I think is just uh, a big part of what, what queer identity really is. Yeah, and um, we know that you guys, before all this craziness happened with the quarantine and everything, were doing a ton of appearances and even setting up for your own con and doing all these types of things. Um, what's kind of been like the evolution of the reaction to the kind of drag performance that you give? And specifically with the queer community, has it been, you know, obviously been welcomed with open arms, but was there any trepidation early on because this, you know, it was this horror theme or was that really embraced by the queer community? I think um, we are performers and producers first and foremost. So it's our job to figure out how to present information and content to people in a way that they can handle it. So when we started doing horror performances or horror content in a drag setting, we knew how to lead the audience in to make them okay with it because we would host the events and we're like, let's take them on this strange journey, if you will. And 
make sure that we tell the story in a way that they can digest it and get into it and feel like they're a part of it. So I don't think we really got any backlash. We didn't get any backlash. You know, we made sure that the events we were doing were marketed to the people that would like it. And so it, it all sort of worked together, I think. Cool. Now, I, I would say, you know, most people um, that are probably listening right now and that are fans of the show and fans of you both, of course, they think of you, of course, duh, how could that be any different? Um, but I, there are a I think a lot of times, there. you know, you're the Boulay brothers, right? I think a lot of people think about you, you know, together, right? Mm-hmm. And tell us a little bit about Drac and Swan separately. Like, what, um, what makes each of you tick instead of just as the entity of the brothers? Why don't we try to answer for each other? I think that would be easier. What do oh, you think, Drac? Oh, I love that. That's a fun game. Sure. Okay, so when I see Drac, uh, and, and we agree on so many things, and we see the world in such a similar way, it's so difficult to do this, but let me give, here, let me give it my best shot. Um, <laughs> no, Drac is kind of like an overlord. If there is a war map, it's, it's always splayed out in Drac's mind, and she's like three moves ahead of most people that are sitting at the table. And not in, a, not in like a vicious way or like an overlording way, almost in like a caretaking way. Like she's kind mm-hmm. of like the, the mastermind mother of the house that's not only going to take care of everyone, but it's also going to bring us all over the finish line and do it first and do it fiercest. And now Swan. I would say Swan is dualistic, and part of that is because of her Gemini nature. She is a Gemini. So on one hand, I think she has this sort of like aloof psycho beauty queen vibe to her. (laughs) Um, Yeah, very aloof. And I think you can see that in our live performances when she performs. I feel like you can see that that character. It's really enchanting, and it sort of draws you in, but then it discards you in a... A, a sort of cruel way that's amazing to watch on stage. And then on the other hand, she has a really caring nature when it comes to dealing with the competitors or other people. Um, you know, when she sees, she sees sort of the beauty in people. So I guess maybe that's, that's mm-hmm. the consistency is that uh, there's a beauty element there. I feel like you see the beauty inside of people like Abora, for example, in the second season of the Blade Brothers Dragula. Abora was hard to understand. I misread Abora a lot. I thought she was, I didn't, I didn't get it. I didn't get where she was coming from. And I feel like Swan really saw inside of Abora and was able to embrace her for our differences. And I think you're, she's very supportive too and, and not judgy with them. She's sort of like, whoever you are, let me help you be you on 10. Huh. That's awesome. Right. And That's you're, the, you're, the, you're the, the harsh judge. The one I'm like, will... change everything. You're <laughs> <Yeah>. awful. <laughs> exactly. Good, good cop. If we could send you all your home right now, is... we would. <laughs> yeah. Your core is good, but that's where it stops. <laughs> you know, Swan also, as a, as a Gemini rising, I really do get that. I, 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 I really, um, I feel an empathy with you right now. So. Oh, thank yes, you. That's lovely. And as, and as a harsh Scorpio, I'm also there. So... <laughs> <laughs> now so as it's as has been mentioned um boulet brothers dragula it's on netflix it's becoming a huge staple in the in, in the netflix community and i think that it's really like taken a kind of a mind of its own if you will but how you know this started off as just like a small pilot on on a on a internet um tv station I don't know if that's the right word, but <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Um, but sure. like, 
how, something something smaller. Yeah, than yeah exactly. The giant that is Netflix. <laughs> but kind of how did that come to be? Like, what was that process like? And how are you guys feeling about it? So it's the whole thing is a plan. You know, we decided we wanted to make this reality show. We knew what we wanted to do. And we've told the story a few times, but... Wait, Ra- I, I, we I wanted, could, I'm sorry, Jack. I, I just want to interject as you go on, and I, and I hate to interrupt you, but I just want to plant this seed. Remember what I said? Picture in her mind the war map rolling out <laughs> as she's talking. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Go, go. The plan. So it was a plan. Um, literally from day one, the first person that we spoke to about the show, we told them the end goal is to put the show on Netflix. And, you know, three years later it was. So it started with saying... Okay, most people, most production companies come up with a concept for a show, they go pitch it, they hope a network will buy it, and then they produce it. And we felt that the show was so fucking weird that there's no way that we could explain it to an executive at a network and have them on. And I don't know how many, you know, network executives you know, but a lot of them are very straight laced. And half of them don't even know what drag is. So to try to explain Dragula to them, you must imagine, is insanely difficult. So the plan was we knew it. We knew that it would resonate with fans. We knew that it would blow up. So our goal was let's make the show, build the fan base, and then the networks will come. And that's exactly what happened. So we made the show. We took our own, you know, we've been doing events for a long time. So we took our savings. We took our own money. We didn't ask someone else for money. We took our own money. We made the show and hoped for the best. And within three months, a network did pick it up. So we're, you know, obviously there was, I can't even tell you uh, how difficult it was. It was the most difficult thing I've ever done and probably ever will. Um, it has a lot to do with magic, luck, the right place, the right time, and a fuck ton of hard work. And at the end of the day, that is the story of Dragula. Yeah, I want to interject too, and I'm glad you threw in like the magic and the work because you said, um, you know, luck and that's maybe i think a small part of it i think a great part of this is like force of will you know it took our focus and our hope and belief that what we were creating was undeniable and i kind of never wavered in some ways like i think i carried that spirit with me through the whole process because it was super trying i mean try going to a difficult stressful job that you might work 60 hours a week and then you get to go home but we kind of never went home you know we're with each other day and night and and even still like (laughs) I'm still here, Uh, you know, but I still haven't clocked out (laughs) and it's been three and a half years, but it's the truth. Like we, we, we brought that from a thought into reality with the force of our will and our willingness to work for it. God, I love that. Uh, punch that clock. (laughs) Um, so I want to preface this question by saying that Andrew and I are both big fans of Boulay brothers, Dragula. So that's number one, right? And, you know, number two, like, I think we already know our own answers to this question, but I, we, we really want to hear it from you. Um, and it's because I think, like, you know, when we think about drag on TV, you know, the average person right now is thinking, oh, RuPaul, Drag Race, right? Like, it sort of dominates, like, the context of drag on TV. And, you know, we love how Boulay Brothers Dragula is sort of up and coming and, and not even up and coming anymore. It's it's just coming up to get you right now, right? Mm. So. Tell us a little bit about why, because we we know, you know, right from the outset, this is a very different show from Drag Race. Why is it important to have a show like Boulay Brothers Dragula that is so different from Drag Race? So we'll we'll probably both have our own answers. 
my answer is simple. Dragula goes back to the roots of drag. Mm. What you see on Dragula to me is what drag is. Drag, you know, pageant queens and that style of drag has been a part of drag since the beginning, of course. But, you know, if you look at the origins of drag, you know, especially when you get into the 70s, it's very punk rock. It's very political. It's very wrong. It makes you think. It offends you. And that spirit of drag is what birthed our our interest in drag and what we came up on. So for us, it's important to remind people of what drag is and take it back to its roots. Right now, it's such an important time for queer representation to be authentic. And what we show on our show is authentic queer representation. Mm. We're not overproducing it. We're not hiding their stories. We're not suppressing the fact that women do drag or trans people do drag or there, there could be even a straight guy that does drag. This is the community we live in. And we don't want to hide that. We don't want to hide that there's addiction problems in the community or any of that. We want to put it all out on the table because if we're going to be accepted if that's what people want. But if we do want to be accepted by the rest of the world, we have to be our authentic selves, not sugarcoat it and whitewash it so that the rest of straight society will accept us. That is just not the Belay Brothers style. And yeah. there, and there's the pause I was looking for. Well, that was like, honestly, that kind of says it all, really. Um, and if I was going to, if I was going to kind of put my two cents in, because I think Jack really hit the, hit the, the heart of it, not any one person or one voice should define a genre of art. And I think I look at drag as an art form and all we've been seeing is one artist and that can get very tired and very boring. Like the world is so much more exciting than that. And Dragula is there to reflect and put a light on all of those weird, strange creatures that have been crawling around in the shadows the entire time, but just have never had a light to show what, what they're capable of and what they can do, like hear their voice. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. It shouldn't be one person or one company's possession to define for the world that just you know especially when they didn't invent that art form mm-hmm. and you know I, I was and for listeners i was i was telling you know jack and swan before we started today um about how when i was i was starting to watch season three a couple weeks ago and um i watched the first episode and i, I went to bed pretty much right after and i had a nightmare and like you know for me that that's not a problem um but it just sort of shows you, like, you know, last time I watched Drag Race, I didn't have a dream after. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, you're, you're, the way that you do it and the way that you perform and the way that you bring in other artists who are like you and in the same vein of performance is something really special. And I love, love, love that you talk about having authentic queer representation at a time in our world when it's greatly needed um, because there are so many problems in our world. There are so many problems with inauthenticity. And I think there is just this heart of queer people that wants to scream out loud. This is who we are. Well, that's um, the thing. It's like, it's for, there's different kinds of ways to be accepted. And I think we're, when we were growing up and we were sort of coming into our queerdom, you know, there was two different schools of how you get acceptance. One is let me sort of try to be a white cis gay dude and get a house in the suburbs with a picket fence and two children and sort of imitate what heterosexuals do. Mm. And then there was the other way that was like, 
fuck you. I don't want your acceptance. You're going to accept me because I'm here and I'm going to do it my way. And if I have three husbands, get into it. You (laughs) know, it's not, it's not your business. Yeah, that's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) And you're right on track with Joe Exotic. So (laughs) I don't have three husbands, but I don't judge someone that does. (laughs) Right, right. No, I was going to say, I judge them. I just don't tell them that I (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) And you give them an A plus in that judgment. Absolutely. And that's how we know we're all gay. Congratulations. <laughs> Here we are. No, you know, it's like it's not the point is to imitate someone else to get them to accept you. No one's going to respect you that way. They're going to respect you when you say, get out of my way. I'm, I'm taking this space, whether you like it or not. And in oh, fact, yeah. if you push, I'm going to take your space, too. Well, it's that idea of like, do you ask permission to be expected? Are you begging? Like, please accept me. Here I am. You know, is it okay with you? Or is it like, here I am, accept me, whether you like it or not? Because if you, if you don't, it's your problem. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I, I, I think, I think the queer community has tried that in so many ways for so long, right? To say like, oh, please, can I, may I, might I? Yes. And we're learning more and more now, especially in the age of this disastrous administration, of you know the the SCOTUS decision coming out in October that could be disastrous for all of us. Um, you know that we can't just ask anymore. You know it's like James Baldwin said, "How how much longer do you want us to to wait for your progress?" You know, and I, yeah. I'm not equating our struggles, of course, but you know it's it's an important thing to to add in there. I will say I, it's important. Oh, go ahead. I'd like to throw in this idea, and this is something that Drac and I used to t- uh, had the chance to talk about a lot when we did um, weekly shows. And you know, we throw events in Los Angeles and have for a really long time. And many times, we'll take our events like kind of all over the world. But the weekly uh, is something that I miss because we got to interact with a crowd of you know seven hundred to a thousand people, and these are queer people, predominantly men, but every you know every every spectrum, every part of the spectrum was represented, and uh, we got the chance to just be on stage and before we announce the performers, we get to talk with them. And it was something that I'd like to interject quite a bit in my pulpit, if you will, is that the the world of like being a minority, and that includes like sexual orientation, the color of your skin, ethnicities, um, you know, the trans community, queer community, it's important for us to stay together, to to yes. look at the commonality between us and, and know that we are all part of that minority voice. And in that is a safety and a power and a momentum and a kind of a, a way to sort of overcome the cacophony of media and, and the ruling kind of like 1% and, and all these ways that we're led to believe that we should be at odds with each other and, and sort of weaken our ranks. It's a, it's a huge mistake that I talked about uh, every chance I could get. Amen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you, you guys talked about this, you alluded to this a little bit, but in the Boulay Brothers uh, Dragula, you guys offer a way for all kinds of um, drag to be portrayed. And you kind of mentioned some of the areas with drag kings and transgender people. Um, can you talk a little bit about why that was so important for you to include and kind of what that meant to you to be able to kind of bring that to a giant platform like Netflix? Yeah, so the the show is based off of our drag and the sort of events and experiences that we create. For us, think of uh, us and the world that we live in as like a Rocky Horror world. It doesn't matter what's between people's legs, male, female, trans people, the color. I mean, anything. You could, We invited every all freaks from all walks of life <laughs> were 
in our castle partying with us. And that's the sort of events that we created. We started off creating fetish parties. So it was just a big blend of sexualities. And it really didn't matter who was what. And sometimes you didn't even know. And what difference does it make? And that mentality we carried through all the way to the show. So through all of the events that we did up into the show, we felt that it was important to represent the whole queer community and not just one lane of it. Because it's reality. I mean, that's the reality that we actually share, not this idea that like everybody is kind of the same and their drag expression is kind of the same and there's a right way and a wrong way to do it. It's just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not to mention, I'm like, you know, it's it's just why would you not include the entire community? Mm-hmm. I don't know what advantage would it be for us to limit it? Yeah, unfortunately, in the in the LGBTQ community, we sometimes cannibalize ourselves for no good reason. So just unfortunate. So I want to talk a little bit about these extermination challenges. So we've seen some jealous, <laughs> jealous, the opportunity to play with us a little bit. Um, <laughs> you know, some of the standouts that I was like, is this really happening on my television right now? Were the the drinking, the chugging of the blood, and the piercing challenge of the of the back. And I just want to know, where do you guys come up with this stuff? How do the contestants react to this kind of a thing? Like, what is that like? So here's the thing. Like, uh, to reflect what Drax said earlier, a lot, I mean, a huge majority of what you see on the show comes from the root of our experience in nightlife, producing events, being drag artists ourselves. Like, we we both kind of, like, live from and, and, and... look at the world from this kind of like punk kind of perspective. Uh, Let's talk about the the piercings for a second. Um, You know, like we said earlier, we threw fetish events in Los Angeles for many years and that represented a lot of freedom for people and all sexualities and, and piercings and body modification was kind of a big part of that community. And it is a big part of that community. So you have most people I'd say that saw that and they were just shocked. Like, Oh my God, like you said, I can't believe I'm seeing this. But so many other people and our friends were kind of like laughing at it. Like, Oh yes, I can't believe that you did that. (laughs) Amazing. Like other people are out there to see that. So it's all a matter of perspective for us. It's not quite as shocking as it might be for someone who just doesn't have exposure to that world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Remember we, it's based on our drag and we didn't come up like lip syncing for our life at hamburger Mary's, you know, we were throwing (laughs) fetish parties and we were in the desert hosting wasteland weekend and, you know, performing at punk rock straight clubs. It was a different ball game. So that's, those are the things that we experienced and learned about and engaged in. So we bring that through when we were, remember we're looking for someone to represent our brand. Mm -hmm. When we pick a winner, we want someone that represents our style of drag. So it's important that they know about the things that we're interested in and the, you know, the sort of performances that we do. Mm. Thinking about the clubs where you perform too, can you think as, you know, Andrew and I are both in Chicago where our show is based. Can you think of a club in Chicago where you would want to perform? I'm not very familiar with the clubs in Chicago, so I'm not sure. There's a lot of people that have asked us to come up there, and we are coming up there, well, depending on what happens with this pandemic. Uh, uh, fingers crossed. may throw it off. But if not, we are planning on doing our first ever Chicago appearance in November. Hmm. And do you, do you know where it's going to be at? Uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to say, but it's oh, not okay, sure. a nightlife spot. Okay, okay gotcha. Sure. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we will keep an eye out because we would love to be there. Yeah, please do. I mean, it's funny because Chicago is actually, I, I think, 
of the major cities in the country, it may be the last, if not one of the last that we've yet to go to. Neither of us have ever even been to Chicago. So it's sort of like this uh, final frontier. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, we are waiting to welcome you here with open arms and Thank open you. legs for that matter, too. <laughs> uh, There's a lot of talented drag in, in Chicago, too. Oh, yeah. A lot of talented drag. Big time. You know, I actually grew up with Honey West's niece. Um, and I, I once hung out in a car with Honey and Alex, and Alex Billings, um, listening to them just spin some stories about like drag of yesteryear. It was one of the coolest experiences of my life. Nice. Um, that, that was pretty neat. Um, but back to you folks. Tell us a little bit about what's next for Boule Brothers Dragula. We know there's going to be a season four, but how are you going to keep the content fresh? Oh, darling, don't ever worry about that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, honestly, Drac and I have been in a conversation for so many years. Like the two of us, we both have art degrees. We, We have tons of ideas. Like that is the one thing that... You know, once upon a time, I was worried like, hey, will one day this well of ideas and inspiration run dry? But that was so many years ago. Like we have so many lists of things that we would like to see put onto film and so many trials that we would like to force our next batch of monsters to endure. (laughs) Uh, Honestly, I think we have years of content. There's no fear of running out. Yes, that makes us very excited. Yeah, I think that the show is only getting started. There's so much more to come. When we started the show, we had a very small budget. And each season, you can see it gets a little bigger and a little more developed and a little truer to what we want it to be. And it's just coming into its own. I think people will see that with season four. Yeah, I also want to say the world of horror is expanding and changing, too, Mm -hmm. which gives us... Uh, different inspirations and and as more time goes on we're inspired by the world we share and things that we you know we take notice of as more as more seasons go by and also i i'm excited to imagine that the presence of dragula in the mind of i won't say pop culture but in the mind of more people may start to affect the drag that we see and the and the people that are applying for seasons to come and we might start to kind of realize ourselves our own effect on the world at large and hopefully we'll see more colorful and creative ways that people can sort of manifest their inner monster and obviously that will then go forward and make seasons to come more dynamic and more interesting and more evolved. It's exciting. Yeah. And I think that we've kind of seen that horror is, you know, it's not the stepchild it once was and and it's kind of been accepted into a larger media conglomerate that people are able to kind of relate with. And so I think you guys have it made in the shade if you you ask me for going forward. Um, (laughs) And we know that you um, just were paired up with Fangoria to start your own podcast called Creatures of the Night. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about what um, your listeners or our listeners can expect from that? Yeah, so it's sort of a full-on variety horror show. We review horror movies. We talk about hauntings from history. We interview celebrities that work in the horror space or just people that we're connected with. Um, We talk about all of our projects. It's a chance for us to connect with our fans a little closer than how we are on the show. When we're on the show, we're presented as judges Mm -hmm. and... You know, we're limited in how we can interact with people at home. They don't really get to see us in a relaxed environment. And with this podcast, they get to hear our actual opinions and us talking in a more casual way, which some people might not like. (laughs) But I think most people are eager to see more of our personalities and they want to. 
they want to connect with us a little more than just being cold and evil all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, also they'll they'll people um, that are paying attention to Creatures of the Night will also get to see a little bit more of the difference between Swan and Drac, and we voice our opinions separately. So the Boule brothers are still there, and we're very much a part of the whole podcast, but you will get a sense of like who we each are and what we each think about the world we share. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, I've listened to the first two that I think there's only two out right now, and yes. I'm already starting to get a sense of that you two have like differences in the kind of horror that you like to ingest. I think in the first episode, you guys had a couple of movies that you talked about where I was kind of surprised at some of the reactions, but it could just show that your personalities were just, you know, that slightly bit different that you wanted to have different parts of the horror in your, in your choices. And you see that in the show too, even the difference with uh, season two of the Blade Brothers Dragula, as everyone knows, was a little campier. It was a little more Friday the 13th in the 80s, whereas season three, a lot of that was gone and it it leaned a little more, uh, I would say, into like my style of horror, which is more serious, a little drier. And both of us go back and forth and riff on those concepts. But, you know, there are differences between what we like. I knew you were a Gemini, because I feel the same way. Well, Swan um, is the Gemini. Yeah. Oh, Swan, you're the Gemini? Damn yes. It. Well, you know what? You're good, too. Uh, you know, bo- both of you are good. Let's well, thank you for bug. saying it, but let me point out, I really don't need your affirmation. <laughs> <laughs> so, also, too, you know, obviously, we are all stuck in this goddamn fucking quarantine. Um, oh, I'm sure it's Lord. just as bad in California. Obviously. So everyone's yearning to get the fuck out, right? And, you know, we know from listening to your podcast that you two were in the catacombs earlier this year. So what's your dream horror destination when this quarantine finally fucking ends? I want to go to Transylvania really bad. Um, Just because we've never been. We've been all over the world. And I don't think... uh, I think that would be right with that. Would you agree, Swan? I was going to, the first thing that popped into my mind was go to Romania. Yeah. That would be lovely. And it's supposed to be really, really beautiful too. Beyond like just like the horror aspect, it's supposed to be just a, a, a really incredible place to visit. Sure. But as far as like horror related, I think that's one of the places that we haven't been. And of course, it's like the obvious, most, you know, expected one. But we've been to a lot of the other ones. So this is one that we haven't been to. And I think on a personal level, we would actually like, you know, we really enjoy European lifestyle. So just being in the villages and being a part of all that and that environment uh, would be fun. Totally. So Dragon Swan... Before we say goodbye to you, which is going to be hard because this was a lovely discussion. Oh, well, thank you. Um, tell us, just if you could, you know, maybe not like your most favorite or your favorite, but like what's a horror film that each of you just can't live without? Do you want me to go first or do you want to answer first? You go ahead. I was just talking to someone from Fangoria about this earlier. Uh, so my go to my main horror movie for whatever reason. And we were trying to figure out why earlier is Halloween four. Mm. Um, yeah, that, I, I don't know if it was the time I saw it, uh, the age, you know, I was young, you know, teenager and, um, or younger even, and seeing, uh, Danielle Harris's character in the movie, you know, it was like you were seeing a little kid that was the final girl, which was unusual. Yeah. Uh, and but and at the end of the movie, the script changes and she becomes the killer. Mm-hmm. And it was really odd and 
in a demented way, kind of empowering, you know? It, it, we talk about that bully thing where uh, queer people are bullied or feel like outcast. And I think in that sense, uh, Danielle's character was, re- you know, queer people related to her because she was getting chased by this monster and, you know, she didn't have anybody on her side. And then she sort of flips the script and becomes empowered. Now, of course, it's demented and she kills her stepmom, but still, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Don't yeah. kill your parents, little kids. <laughs> Go, hey, going back to that idea do, of sort of it. like willpower and sort of manifesting what you want, having Daniel Harris as a guest judge on our Halloween episode <gasps> for the Boulet Brothers Dragula, I looked at track and sitting in those thrones, I was just so happy mm-hmm. that that was actually happening. Like for me, it was a, it was the ultimate spell that manifested right there that day because going back to Amazing. Drac as a little kid and 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 I've known you know I've known him for years so knowing how much this movie has meant it was just such a special thing to have that made real. Mm. It was actually lovely. surreal because we've met so many celebrities and worked with so many people in the industry and but just for some reason just sitting there and Danielle Harris was right next to me it was and you know I'm in full drag and we're in our monster mansion shooting our show and I'm just like this is bizarre like it just felt <laughs> surreal yeah even coming from LA to we're not you know we lived here for years and neither of us are really uh, people that tend to succumb to like being starstruck by any means it's just not something that ever really affects us but i think that day there was really just kind of something special about having her as a guest and you know hearkening back to drac as a child and just having that kind of brought forward and being part of our show now it's part of our history so it's kind (laughs) of special swan how about you for 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 a film i'm gonna say that Right now, today, because if you ask to be tomorrow, it might it might be a little different. But, um, you know, the past couple of months have really got me thinking a lot about my favorites, my favorite horror movies and what has really affected me, especially young and what I saw and kind of shaped the way I thought about horror and things. And I'm going to say one of my favorites and maybe one of the ones I can't live without is the Dream Warriors Nightmare on Elm Street 3, mm-hmm. um, because it's so fun and it's so uh part of like my own personal story about these kids are all kind of like broken and misfitty and outcast and very much others and black sheep and going into their dream world and it's mixed with horror and comedy and you know freddie kind of does it in that way that you know no one (laughs) no other character really has or can since um you know it just it just strikes a chord within me and brings me back to being kind of a weird kind of outcasty misfit and the movie is absolutely one of my favorites then and still is today well and now that you guys are on um netflix we can totally say welcome welcome to prime time bitch bitch exactly (laughs) (laughs) well thank you for that Thank you so very, very much for being with us. We truly enjoy this. We know our listeners will, too. Thank you for having us. We appreciate it. It was a pleasure. Awesome. And for our listeners out there, too, thank you for being with us for yet another horror hookup. We hope that quarantine is not, um, you know, killing you right now. Or at least if it is, you know, hope it's fun while it happens. Um, (laughs) We love you all very much. Please stay safe. Please stay healthy. Please stay inside as much as you fucking can. And as always, Andrew and I remind you to get slayed. Get slayed. <laughs>